Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. Simone is on there too. Um, yeah, you see Simone? Yeah, looks just like her. Um, so, all right. Um, Halloween tomorrow. Who's excited? All right. I mean, you already got people that are dressed up. Uh, I know Jacob can't wait. He's going to dress up as Jacob um, and he's going to look just like this. So, uh, how many of you guys like scary movies? Okay, how many of you guys like, like the horror genre? That, that's your thing. Okay, so, uh, what, okay, what are your favorite scary movies? Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Bird Box, okay. Friday the 13th, okay, they're classic, classic. What else? Yes. Finding Nemo, the scariest movie. Um, but I have to say, I cry every time that the sharks turn around and they don't eat the fish. It's just amazing. Yes. Coraline is a great, creepy, scary movie. Yes. Um, so the other, the other night, uh, uh, so Olivia and Courtney actually live across the street from my wife and I, which is great. Um, we have this little movie club, which is a lot of fun. And uh, I made them watch uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas for the first time. So that's a little bit creepy. It's got some, some, some creepy. I mean, I, I don't know who Oogie Boogie is, but I don't really like him very much. So um, I think, I think uh, if I were to answer the question, my, probably my favorite scary movie is A Quiet Place. Has anybody seen A Quiet Place? Yeah. Now, it's not like... like you know, there aren't, there's not a lot of blood, blood and gore and all that kind of stuff, but it is pretty intense. Um, you know any movie where they kill a baby, like a child, at the beginning of the movie? Spoiler alert. Whew. It's going to be intense. So, I don't know about you guys, but I am sadly one of those people who is easily startled. Uh, it, did any, anybody, uh, anybody have that problem where you're just like easily startled? Like you're doing your thing, right? You're like, you're like in your room and somebody like barges in the door and you like jump off your bed as high as possible. I hate this feeling. So, yeah, it's, it's awful. I hate it. In fact, um, I answered the citizen's question. Like if somebody scared you, um, I'm Courtney and I do this, the, the, uh, cinema stories podcast and uh, I was in the green room waiting for her so we could record, and I'm, like, at the whiteboard thinking about some things, and she comes in the door, and I'm, like, so intently in thought. Like, she said something, and I just, like, freaked out. Um, uh, it's bad. So my life is kind of like a scary movie because I'm easily startled. It happens all the time. So uh, my wonderful wife, uh, she thinks it's funny to scare the crap out of me. It's not funny. If you're the person who gets scared, it's not funny. So, uh, when we were first married, 
uh, you know, we have our nightly routine, you know, like we're locking the doors and all this stuff. And if you're a guy, this is your nightly routine. You go and you check all the doors. Scott, you know, you go and you check all the doors. You make every, sure everything's locked. You're doing your husbandly duty there. Uh, so I go to our back door in our apartment, and I'm making sure that the door is locked. And right on the, um, the, the left of me is where the kitchen is. And there's a table there. And out of the corner of my eye, it's pretty dark except for the light coming from our bedroom. And so out of the corner of my eye, I, yeah, Danae's laughing. It's not funny. Out of the corner of my eye, you know how like in movies where eyes glow? Like I see these glowing eyes under the table. And like she jumps out at me and I scream so loud. I felt so bad for the people that lived under the apartment under us because it must have sound like awful because I jumped and everything. And, you know, if you live in the top floor of an apartment, just don't jump. It's not nice. Um, and so my life, it's just, it's just so far. And she still thinks it's funny to do it to me. So um, we've been walking through Proverbs now for a while. And we've talked over and over again about this idea of wisdom and listening to wisdom and following her. And today, what we're going to see is the story of a man who disregards the father's wisdom and how it actually matters if we listen to wisdom. We've talked a lot about a, different, a lot of different things, but this is going to be the story, I think, that brings it all home. We're going to see the consequences, honestly, of choosing our own path and not the fathers. And honestly, it kind of plays out like a horror movie. Um, it's the kind of horror movie like, you know, where you're screaming to the kid, no, don't follow the clown down the drain. Like, why would you do that? You know, like, it, or in, um, in a uh, brain fart, um, in a quiet place where, like, the kid's about to turn on the space shuttle, and your immediate thought is like, no, don't do that. This is exactly what we're going to see tonight. And so uh, I want you to, if, if you don't have a Bible, tonight is the night I encourage you to, to have one. Like, I go find one, get one, you know, if you have to, use your phone. But we're going to be in this story, and I think it's going to be important for you to see, because look, Anytime that we get up here, the reason we want you to have this is not because we think it's good for you, but we do. It's because we want you to see that the things that we're talking about aren't just our own opinion. It, it's, this, is, this is God's word. And so when we look into it, we want you guys to see that what we're saying comes from Scripture. So tonight, we're going to start on the path clear of sin. And this path is the way of the Father. So we're going to be in chapter 7. So turn there in your Bibles, and we see, he says, my son. So we've seen this father many times already in Proverbs, and he's sitting down with his son, and he says, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them to your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
Say to wisdom, you're my sister. Call insight your intimate friend and keep you, to keep you from the forbidden woman for the adulteress in her smooth words. So what do we see here? We see here that this is the path of the Father. This is the way clear of sin. And look at this. Look what he says. He says, keep my words. Treasure them. He also says, keep my commandments and live. Like, how many of you would find, like, treasure and just throw it away? Anyone? Like, that would be dumb. And so the father here is specifically saying that the words that he's giving us, the commands that he's giving us, the things that he's about to talk about are so important. They're as important as you going into, you know, the wilderness, following a map, finding treasure, and taking it with you. The foolish thing would be to go in the, the woods, following a map that leads to treasure, and just leave the treasure there. So the Father is imploring us to treat what he is about to say the same way that we would buried treasure that we found. Not only that, but he gives us a reason, too. He says, keep my commandments and live. I don't know about you, but I kind of like living. So, um, and, and I think that what's so important here is we just see, we see how these commandments, that it's, it's not just about living, but he says, keep them as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Like, tattoo them to you. Like, that's how close that these words should be. Like, take the words of the commandments of the Father and tattoo them on your heart. That's how close that they need to be to you. And this is the thing. The reason that the Father wants these commandments, these things that he's about to say, to be so close to you is because what we're going to see is the... the problem of not doing what he says we're about to see the consequences of not following in the father's footsteps it's really cool here like and i know it seems kind of weird and confusing when he says uh say to wisdom you're my sister call insight your intimate friend and what's weird here is that actually if if you're looking at the hebrew this really means to make wisdom your true companion, your true counselor. Um, wisdom is basically supposed to be like the very first bride or groom that you ever have in your life. That's the idea. That's how close wisdom is to be to us. And so, um, and the reason for this is, as he says, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. And what follows here is the father's warning about this adulterous woman. Now, what's kind of crazy about this, and you know, you probably don't know, but by this point in Proverbs, we're, we're, we're in chapter 7, this will be the fourth time that the father talks about this subject in seven chapters. 
So anytime that you're studying the Bible and you're reading the Bible, anytime you see something repeated over and over and over again, what do you think that means? Pay attention. It's important. Um, so if you want to go back and look at them, I think it would be great. The first time that we see the Father talk about this is in chapter 2. Then he does so in chapter 5, as well as chapter 6, which we'll actually touch upon a little bit later. So this topic is something that is so important to God in the lives of his people. And what he's trying to stress here and what he's trying to say is that staying on the path clear of sin is to stay on the Father's path. And the reason he's saying this over and over again is because it's so dangerous to stray from this path. To follow what they call the adulterous woman. And basically, that just breaks down to to fall into sexual sin. It's heavy. So the second section we're going to go to is the path of sin proceeds one step at a time. And this would be the way of the simple. And so... This is kind of where the horror movie really gets going. You know, you know the point of the movie, like you mentioned, where you're just wanting to be like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, how many people have seen that like wonderful Geico commercial where <laughs> they're they're in the horror movie and they're like looking around for somewhere to hide and they're like, where can we hide? Where can we go? Where can we? She's like, why don't we just get into the running car? And he's like. No, not there. Why don't we go hide behind the chainsaws? And they're like, oh, that's a great idea. And they run in, they have been behind the chainsaws. And then you've got the killer just standing there behind them being like, I, I just, maybe they deserve to die. They're so dumb. Um, and then you see them running out and they're like, we could go to the house. No, make for the graveyard. Like, that's kind of what we're about to see is people making really dumb decisions. And so in verse 6, we see here it says, For at the window of my house, so this is the father talking, I have looked out from my lattice, basically his patio, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And so... Basically, imagine this, like, father's hanging out in his pad at, at, um, in downtown Portland. He's got a really nice place. He's sitting out on his patio, you know, one of those high rises, and he's just people watching. And what he sees is he sees this simple youth walking down this path that he knows is going to lead to destruction. He's walking down the path towards her house. And it's basically that moment where you just want to be like, bro, don't go that way. Dude, stop. And so the idea here when we see it says, if you look at uh, verse 7, I have seen among the simple and I have perceived the youths 
a young man lacking sense or a young person lacking sense. This idea here for the simple youth, he's saying that it's basically a person who's not fully committed to either wisdom or folly. They're just the person who does whatever they want to do. And they just, like, they don't even think about the consequences. And so um, they're just the type of person who's, like, walking through life and whatever, whatever looks good, whatever, you know, sounds good, that's what they're going to do. And um, so the fact that they're this type of person who just kind of lives out the spirit of the age. And when I say that, they're just this person who's like, you know what? I just do me, man. You just do you. You know, I just, I do whatever feels good. Whatever, you know, I'm just going to live out my truth, you know. And I don't really know what that is, but I'm going to find it, and then I'm going to do it. Um, that's the type of person. In fact, how many of you went through the Judges series at all or within any of those for us in the academy? Basically, the phrase that we saw over and over again in Judges was everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the simple youth. The person who just is like, I don't know, it just, I, it just feels good. So I'm just going to do it. Um, he's, he's basically got the Nike, you know, like, just do it. That's his motto for life. And so how does this start? How does this story start? What do we see here? Verse 8, it says, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, it's twilight, not that twilight, but uh, in the evening at the time of darkness. So what we see here is that it begins one step at a time. The path to sin is one step at a time. And isn't that kind of how all sin works? It just kind of begins with like baby steps. And you're like, you know, baby steps into the elevator. Baby, I guess nobody's seen What About Bob. You know? and, so it's, it's that idea though. Like we're literally, we just take those steps. We just take that first step. We just keep taking that next step until we can't take any more steps because we're falling off a cliff. That's what's happening here. And I'll say this, it's not, just, it's not just sin that's like that. This is specifically what I'm talking about here is sexual sin is so like one step at a time. You're like, oh, I can do that. So you think to yourself, oh man, it's cool. I can look at that Instagram account. It's fine. I can send, I can send that sexy snap. I know I probably shouldn't, but it's fine. Uh, ooh, I, can, I, I can text with them. It's cool. I can look at that website. I can DM them. Like, guys, the steps are endless, but they're so small, and each time we take one more step and one more step and one more step, and we get more and more comfortable until, like I showed you, you're just you're walking off a cliff. The importance of wisdom here, then, for what the Father was saying is to keep us on the path that doesn't walk next to her house, that stays far away from this kind of thing, to not be the person that immediately thinks, no, it's okay for me to do that. Like, if you have to think about something and whether or not it's the right thing to do, 
Usually it's not. It's just usually not. And so the question then is for you, what path are you on? I'd write that one down because I want you to think about this one this week. What path are you on? Because what follows here is a very vivid account of what happens when we follow temptation all the way. And first, we're about to see just how easy it is to fall into sexual sin. Look at this. Verse 11. She is loud and wayward. Basically meaning she has no morals whatsoever. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and on every corner she lies in wait. I don't know about you, but like, sex is everywhere. I can't watch a gum commercial without them selling it to me through sex. Like that somebody looks good and that apparently if you chew this gum, you'll be the sexiest person on the planet. But like it's everywhere. I mean, we literally walk in a place like this is full of social media and all sorts of things that are just laced with sex. Our, the music that we listen to, the movies we watch, the TV we watch, the friends we hang out with, like everything it's all over the place, like it, billboards. You can't get away with it. I dare say, literally, and I mean that literally, there's not a place you can go where there isn't something sexualized. That's what this is saying. Like, she's everywhere. And she's, she's, she's pretty up for it. She, it's not hard to find. And whereas when we saw when Courtney was doing the very first message and wisdom was in the street and she is calling out for people and challenging us not to be simple, guess what? The adulterous woman, she loves you simple. She loves you dumb. She loves you being the person who thinks that I can just do whatever. It's cool. I'll just do my own thing. I'm going to find my own truth. I'm going to find my own path. She loves it. Because you are easy pickings. Part three is where we really get serious. The path of sin has the illusion of life. And this is the way of sin. Look at verse 13, because it gets nuts. She seizes him and kisses him. And a bold face she says to him, I've offered sacrifices. I've, today I have paid my vows. And now I have come out to meet you and to seek you eagerly. I have I've come to find you. Like, first, look at verse 14. She says, I've gone to offer sacrifices. Like, she seems like a nice girl. Like, she went to the temple and she offered sacrifices. Like, Guys, just a quick warning for you. Like, sexual sin is just as pervasive in the church, unfortunately, as it is outside of it. And a lot of people are going to come off as religious 
uh, and they're just going to be doing it so that they can get what they want. It happens. It's kind of what she's doing, right? She's putting her best foot forward, saying, oh, I went and offered sacrifices. But then, then look at this. She says this. So I have come out to meet you. I sought you eagerly, and I have found you. Like, who doesn't want to hear that they're wanted? That somebody thinks that they're worth having. Like, she does everything that you want somebody to say about you. It was you. I've been looking for you. You complete me. Like, she's, she's making him feel so good about himself. It's insane, like, and we've got to go now a little bit farther because the story continues. So verses 16 here through 21. This is what she promises him. This is the illusion that she sets out for him. I have spread my couch with coverings, with fine linens, with Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloe, and cinnamon. Basically, I put on a fancy candle from, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond. It smells great in my house. She says, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves in love. I mean, it sounds, it sounds really good. I mean, for my husband is not at home. I mean, I, this is not like a, whoa, whoa, hey, lady. Um, I don't know what it is. But she says, my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took the money bag with him. In the full moon, he will return home. So basically what she's saying is like, he ain't coming home for a long time. So we can get down. I mean, look what's promised here. Look at the illusion that she weaves for him. Like, this is exactly the promise of sexual sin. Porn, sexting, sex before marriage, any sex outside of the covenant of marriage, it says this. You can have it all without going through the trouble of having to make a commitment and a lifelong commitment to somebody. All of these things look like life, and they sound really good. But it is an illusion. And in the end, there are two competing messages in the world about these things. One is the world's message about sexuality and sexual relationships, and one is God's. And the world makes it easy, because you know what it says? You know what? You're just an accident. You're not special. Uh, you're just a fluke of evolution. You're just lucky you were, you're here, you're born. So it doesn't really matter. God's message is totally different. Genesis 1, we are made in him, his image. In fact, the Trinity talking to itself says, let us make man in our image. Let us make human beings in our image. Like we have intense value because we reflect God. That's a crazy thought. 
We are not accidents. Psalm uh, 139, David talks about the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that in our mother's womb, God knit us together. How many of you have grandmas that knit? Like, have you ever seen, like, the amazing things that somebody makes when they knit? Like, this is the idea. God, in your mother's womb, knitting you together. That is how special you are. Every single one of you has value because you have been made by God. The world says, though, guys, it's just a physical act. It's cool. Don't worry about it. It's just this, it it doesn't matter. It's just a physical act. It's not. It's not. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20. Paul says this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? The, the, should, should we do that? Doesn't seem right. He says never. Paul's language here is more like, heck no. Or do you not know that when he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside of their body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Hear that real quick. Hear that. Every other sin a person commits outside the body. But there's something special about sexual sin because he says... The sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. What we do is not just a physical act when two people come together. That's why in Genesis it says, and a man shall leave his wife and the two shall become one. Think of it this way. When you date people, it's kind of like you're writing in pencil on your heart their name. And what's the best thing about pencil? Yeah, that's right. The moment that you begin to commit sexual sin with somebody, you start writing in pen. And then the farther you go, the more indelible it gets. How many people know what that word means? What that means basically is it's like writing in Sharpie. Can you get Sharpie off of stuff? It takes a lot to get it off, right? Sexual sin with somebody is like writing their name on your soul with a Sharpie. And how many Sharpie names do you want on your soul? And not only that, think about this. How many Sharpie names do you want on your future spouse's soul? 
how many Sharpie names does your future spouse want on your soul? And I can be honest and tell you, you carry those around with you for the rest of your life. They don't go away. It just doesn't go away. So what the father here is talking about is super important. The last one, real quickly, the world says, you know what? As long as you're consenting adults, do whatever the heck you want to do with anybody. God says that sex is reserved for marriage. You've heard that before. But the reason for that is it's not just because he builds on, Paul builds on this idea that he had in Corinthians where that, that sexual sin is against your own body. But the reason that is is because of this. He says this about marriage. This is the mystery. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Right before this, he's talked about that a husband should love his wife as Christ loves the church. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. For a man should leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery of marriage and coming together as one flesh is a mystery that is so profound that it reflects Christ and the church. So it is not just about what two consenting, consensual adults do with each other. That's, that's not it at all. This is so much bigger than that. Why is it so hard then for us in this? Why is it so difficult? I honestly believe it's because we are surrounded by a world that shows us this illusion of what sexual relationships are like. And it doesn't matter what almost any show you're watching, what music you're listening to. I mean, literally almost every T-Swift song, every Ed Sheeran song, Shawn Mendes, uh, yeah, anybody, Maroon 5. Does anybody even listen to Maroon 5 anymore? Okay, yeah, okay. Every, everything is screaming at us about this good life that we can have. We can have sex anyway, anytime, with anyone um, this illusion is as old as the garden. In Genesis, if you think back, the serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What's happening here? She's saying, the devil is saying, God's holding out on you. Like, if you eat this fruit, you're going to be just like God. This is something not only that you should want, but you should have it. And that's exactly what the devil's illusion has done with sexuality. And it is all over the place. And what sounds so good, what looks so good when we watch it in a, a movie and we see it on TV or we see even maybe our friends is a lie. And the reason is, is that because God is protecting us from what's not meant to be ours outside of marriage. 
in the same way that he was trying to protect Adam and Eve from having something that they shouldn't have. Adam and Eve were not meant to be God. They also, we as human beings, were not meant to be in sexual relationships outside of marriage. And the, the, the biggest problem is, is we, don't, we just don't trust that God is good. We don't. We don't believe that God is good. We don't believe that he wants what's best for us. We don't believe it. And you know why? Because our actions show it. We live our lives as if there isn't really a God and we just do what we want to do. And it's backed up by everything that the world says and all of our friends are doing it and we just walk into it. We just walk baby step after baby step after baby step and before we know it, we're going to be in a place where we can't get it back. And I want you to hear me on this. God doesn't hate sex. He doesn't. He created it. Genesis, a man and a woman will come together and they will be one flesh. This is God's idea. It's not like it's something where, like, we get this bad rap in the church, like God thinks it's bad. It's not. It's something that he loves. Guys, go read Proverbs 5. There's a whole book of the Bible that's really graphic. We're not going to talk about it. But the, the Song of Songs, God loves this idea of two people coming together. And you know why? Because this idea of them coming together is a mystery so profound that it is like Christ in the church. It's, that's how much God loves two people coming together in marriage. So growing up, uh, my sister liked to have lots of animals. Uh, we had um, dogs and cats and we had uh, fish. We had little, like, baby frogs. And the problem is the frogs never lasted long enough because she would, like, like, play with them, you know? Like, she'd take them out of the water too long, and then they'd die. It was really sad. We had hamsters. How many people have had a hamster? Okay. So we had a hamster, and I don't know what it is about hamsters, but it's like their, their one desire <laughs> is to get out of the cage. Like... How, how many people have had this problem with your hamster? Like, their only desire is to get out of the cage. You've got this beautiful cage, and it's like, it's got the little tubes that are, like, going all over the place. You know, you've got it all over your room with these tubes. And, like, it's, not, it's still not good enough, right? They just want to get out of the cage. The sad part about it was is that we also had a cat. Yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately... Every time the hamster would get out, we would realize it too late, and it was, I mean, not too late for the cat. You know, they had a really good meal. Um, so it's so funny because the illusion for the hamster is that there is life outside the cage, right? That outside the cage is where life is. Like, inside this cage is boring. I mean, all I've got is this, like, hamster wheel, and, like, there's all these tubes, and, like, that's fine. But outside the cage, that's where real life happens. Little did they know that there was a cat that was just waiting to eat them. It's the same thing with God. God has set us up 
his rules, his commandments, his desires for us and in, in, in our life are the cage. We're in the cage, not because God wants to take things away from us, but because God wants to give us good things. And the problem is, is that we get so caught up in the what that God doesn't want us to do that we forget the why. I'm gonna say that again. We get so caught up in what God doesn't want us to do that we forget the why. Why God doesn't want us to do something. And it's never because God doesn't love us or that he's trying to take something from us. It's just not. It reminds me, when I'm thinking of that idea of the hamster, it reminds me of where Peter talks about in 1 Peter that the devil is like a roaring lion just waiting to devour us. And Peter calls us, he says, to resist and stand firm in the faith. And that God has set the cage of his rules to give us life the way he meant us to have it. The way that he created us. Paul talks about this idea uh, in Romans 12. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that the testing, but by testing that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. God wants us not to find a way to live outside the cage. God wants us to live in it because that is where we are safe. And so the question then for you is, are you flirting with sin? Are you? If you thought it was bad before, this is where it gets worse. This is why the message is, talk, talk, is called the simple youth in the chamber of death. And it's not Harry Potter-ish, and the chamber of secrets is not going to be vanquished. The way of sin leads to the chamber of death. And this is the way of death. So let's look at what happens here to our simple youth in our story. Verse 22. All at once he follows her. And as an ox goes to the slaughter or a stag is caught in the fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Guys, that, there is a point at which the baby steps that you're taking through sin, they come to that place where you just fall off. There is no turning back. There is going to be that point where you can't come back from it. And that's exactly what happens here. I love that the Bible understands the reality of what it's like to be a human, especially in this subject. Because there is a moment where you just don't stop. All at once, it says, he follows her. It's done. It's over. He's gone. And what looked like fun, what looked like easy pleasure, what looked like something that was too good to pass up has now turned into the horror movie. The illusion is shattered. 
There's a line from a, a song from a band that I like. Uh, call, uh, they're called Caveman's Call. They're all too old for you at this point, but they have a great line in their song. It says, I know it's sin that leads to death, but it looks like fun to me. We know that sin leads to death, right? But God, if it doesn't look like so much fun. The problem is, is that especially with sexual sin, it sounds like fun, but it costs. What looked like a house of pleasure has turned in to the chamber of death. That's literally what he's going to call it. Look at this. In uh, 24, he says, Now, O son, listen and be attentive to my words, the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chamber of death. Whew. Father is pulling no punches. Like when I was thinking about this idea of like, um, how many of you guys have seen Return of the King from the Lord of the Rings? Like, okay, nobody. Wow, come on. Um, there's a scene there at the end of the Battle of Pelennor Fields where the dead are just all over the field. Like, there are orcs and mummakill, and, and like, there, there are humans, and, like, it, it is a wasteland of death. That is what it looks like outside her door. Many a victim she, she laid low, and all her slain are like a mighty throng. Like, she has laid waste to everyone that has come to her door. No one is standing. No one is left. The consequences of sexual sin are something that we carry throughout all of our lives. And these consequences are something that are not just that we will have to deal with, but they will be dealt with with our spouse. Believe me. Trust me. I'm not talking about something I don't know everything about unfortunately. 1 Corinthians 6, again, talks about this idea that this is something at the very core of us. Every other sin a person commits outside their body, but sexual, the sexually immoral person commits sins against its own body. There is something about sexual sin that wounds and scars more than any other sin. And I know what you're thinking right now, because I've been in your seat. I've been your age before. I know it seems weird. It's a long time ago. Dinosaurs are still roaming the earth. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, but I got to tell you, Brontosaurus steak, mm, so good. Mm, yeah. You're thinking right now, okay, come on, Matt. How bad could it be? Really? And honestly, a lot of you are probably thinking this. That you're going to be the one that sexual sin doesn't impact. You think you're special. Gavin said a few weeks ago that the Proverbs are sobering in what they say to us. Proverbs 6, 27 and 28 says this. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? 
Or can one walk on hot coals and not have their feet scorched? Proverbs is telling us in no uncertain terms that you, you are not special. You're not. And especially when it comes to sexual sin, you are going to face the consequences of it. And honestly, guys, let my life be an example. I thought I could get away with it. I was 100% wrong. And it has impacted my life every single day because I opened those doors and I walked down those paths and I had to pay the consequences. I mean, what, what the father is saying here in this story about this simple youth, it's real, y'all. This is not, this is not a joke. This is real life. So you remember in the first chapter of uh, Proverbs that Courtney was talking about? I mean, wisdom is savage, guys. Like, it is savage. She says this, for the simple, the, like the simple person in this story that we've been talking about, are killed by their turning away, and their complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread or disaster. What wisdom is saying here, again, you're not special. And if you turn to the foolish path, if you turn to the way of the simple, you're going to be destroyed. Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Guys, this is not a message just about don't have sex. It's bad. It's not what this is. This is the story of why. Again, we're so caught up sometimes in what God doesn't want us to do that we forget um, and we lose sight of why God doesn't want us to do this. And it's, it goes back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Who you have received from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. The way of the simple, the way of the adulteress leads to the chamber of death. That's what Proverbs calls it. Literally right there, the chambers of death. And we have been set free from that. The simple youth thought that they knew better than the father. This is the harm of not following wisdom. So this is the question then. Does it matter? Does wisdom matter? Are you still the one who thinks you're special and your sin's not going to catch up with you? I loved in our academy series we're doing on Psalm 119, Matt Chandler, uh, he said that 
Sin, a lot of times we treat it like a pet. And when we treat sin like a pet, it will always turn on us. And what I thought of in that is like, it would be like keeping a velociraptor as a pet and starving it for a long time and not feeding it. And it's going to turn on you, right? That's exactly what sin is. And so, and I promise you, you're not Chris Pratt. So you're not going to survive, okay? Like, you're, it's, you're just, it's not going to happen. And we disregard the Father's wisdom at our own peril. So the questions then, where are you? Where are you? Are you at the crossroads of sexual sin? You see the illusions of the world and they look really good and you're just like, oh, I just want to, I'll just take that one step. I, I just take another step. Are you at the door? of sexual sin? Are you, are you dabbling in things that you shouldn't be? Are you DMing people you shouldn't? Are you sending those sexy snaps? Are you talking about things you shouldn't? Are you wearing clothes that show off too much of your body? Are you making out? Are you looking at things online that you shouldn't? Are you somebody who's already passed all of that and you've walked in to the chamber of death? I'm, I, I am under no illusions, honestly, that that might have happened for some of you. And for those who may already have felt the shame of sexual sin and followed it down the path of destruction, the beauty is that there is forgiveness in Jesus. This does not have to be a thing that defines you. There's a beautiful quote in this book and it says, every one of us knows the shame of guilty self-awareness and the fear of exposure. But we don't want to live in isolation of that darkness. We long for freeing relationships with others, especially God. But without the gospel, we hide. We conceal, falsify ourselves in order to appear better than we are. Or conversely, or on the other side, we may trot out our failings and our uh, assertive self-display demanding acceptance, a more modern approach. The gospel says this, your shame is real, even more real than you know. But this is what God has done. He put all that shame under Christ on the cross where your substitute was utterly shamed, utterly exposed and condemned for you. Now your shame no longer defines you. What defines you forever and in the future is this one word, adored. Not ashamed, adored. Lovely, attractive. And the moment is coming when you are gonna look in his eyes with glad adoration and he will look into yours with, and you will have confident surrender and nothing will ever spoil that again. It reminds me of what James says when he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Everybody close their eyes.
And I want you to imagine in your mind the worst thing that you've ever done. Just sit in that moment for a second. And no matter what that is, Jesus loves you in that moment more than he could ever love anyone ever. And that love will never change, even if that worst thing that you're thinking about gets worse. The call of wisdom, the call of the Father, is not meant to hinder us. It's, it's there to maximize our life. Jesus in that moment, when in the moment that you're thinking about, is saying to me, come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's only true freedom. You guys can look up. There's only true freedom can be found in Christ. Jesus says this in John 8. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my true disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Guys, freedom from the chamber of death is found by us believing in Christ and abiding in his word. And the word from the Father from Proverbs is this. Son, keep my commandments. Daughter, keep my commandments. Treasure them up. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Guys, we disregard the Father's wisdom at our own peril. And so I ask you tonight is... Take it seriously. Take it seriously. Set your path on the path of wisdom and walk in the way of the Father because it's only in the way of the Father that safety is guaranteed. Let's pray. God, I just pray for everybody in this room. God, wherever we are on whatever path that we are on, Father, I lift every single one of us up to you, God, and you know where we are. God, I pray that we would see the wisdom of following you. God, how much you love us, how much you desire for us to follow you with all of our hearts and not because, God, it's just something that you need, but you know that it's what's best for us. God, I pray that you would help us to love wisdom, to love your word, to love you more than anything else in this world. And that we would follow you, Lord. And that we would find life and life abundant.